Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. And going to be flying solo again. Just 2020, y'all. Don't know what to say other than that. Uh, let's say what's on the schedule for this particular episode. Uh, last night, UFC on ESPN 11. It was a show. Uh, some good stuff, some bad stuff. Uh, and we'll go over that. I mean, that's why you listen. So, we'll have a quick look through that. Uh, preview of UFC on ESPN 12, which is coming your way on Saturday. And uh, that's going to be a good one. Uh, well, I should say it like this. The main event for that is awesome. That's really about all I'm going to say. The rest of it, eh. Not too great on paper, but main event is just a great, great fight. And not not just a great fight on paper. It's one of those fights that you go, you know, I'm not really sure how this could be bad. It would be a pretty big shock if it were. So, a lot of hope for that main event. The rest of the card, not a lot of hope for, but eh, I suppose a little bit of hope. You know, we, we, I never want bad fights. Even if I think something's going to be bad, I'd rather it be good and be wrong than it be bad and be right. So, there's that. And then some of the news from the last week, such as it was, uh, there was some. Not a whole lot, but a bit. So, we'll go over that per usual. Alrighty, let's go ahead and jump into this last card here. UFC on ESPN 11. In your main event, Curtis Blades defeats Alexander Volkov via unanimous decision following scores 49-46, 48-47, and 48-46. I think I was 49-46. I was 49-45. Yeah, I was 49-45 because uh, I gave Blades a 10-8 first. I only gave Volkov the fourth. Uh, that said, I don't think giving Volkov the fifth is wrong. I think you very easily could. I mean, two of the judges did. And uh, yeah, the forty-eight forty-six also gave uh, Blades a ten-eight first. Um, as for the fight, I mean, I gave Blades a ten-eight first, not because he did a lot of damage, but he got Volkov down fairly quickly. Hit a few other uh, mat returns, and I don't think Volkov landed more than, like, three strikes that whole round. It was just won by a wide enough margin for Blades that I felt okay giving him a 10-8. Uh, he wins the first three easily. Like, those are his rounds. Then his cardio starts to fail on him. Volkov stages a bit of a comeback in rounds four and five, but... Volkov's a little bit tired himself and spends just too much time on bottom. Uh, not the performance that Curtis Blades was looking for to try and you know, make the big push that I am the next title contender. Because in all honesty, that's that's a hard sell. I mean, even if he did something spectacular here, it would be kind of a hard sell. Because he's got those two losses to Francis Ngannou hanging over his head. And you've got Ngannou basically waiting for the winner of the Stipe DC trilogy. And everyone else is on the outside looking in. 
unless somebody gets injured, right? If something happens to Stipe or DC, I imagine Ngannou will step into that spot. If something happens to Ngannou after that, you could probably slot Blades in then, but that's still a fair bit of time off. Uh, I don't know how busy Blades wants to stay. Uh, again, that that those two losses to Francis, and both of them being... I know he was a little bit complainy about... I think he protested a little bit at the end of the second one, but he was the only one. It was a fairly clean stoppage win for Ngannou. Uh, those are going to be hanging over his head for a bit, and unfortunately... He doesn't have the type of fighting style that really kind of makes you all that excited to, you know, some fighters, even if they're struggling, even if they're not, you know, necessarily have the right wins at the right times or if they've got losses, but they've got enough fan momentum behind them where their style is of a certain variety that pleases the UFC brass, they will get bumped up. Uh, Blades doesn't really have that. He has a good winning streak. I mean, his only professional losses are to Nganu. Those are his only losses ever. He's on a four-fight winning streak. Uh, I mean, again, his total UFC record is... Look at this for the... Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He is nine, two, and one in the UFC. Well, nine and two with one no contest. Uh, of those wins, he's only gone to decision three times. Uh, with Daniel Omialanchuk, Justin Willis, and then here with Volkov. So it's not like he's not getting finishes. He's just... Most of them aren't memorable. I mean, the big one was the Alistair Overeem one, right? That was the one. That's the one people remember. And in fair play, it's a very memorable finish. But he's not—he's not really, you know, getting into the highlight reels. And Dana White was very, very critical of him after the fact. As you know, you can't talk a lot of crap and then gas out after three rounds. Uh, I mean, part of the—it needs to be noted. A chunk of Dana White's criticism is almost certainly based in the reality that uh, Curtis Blades has kind of been talking up a. He was asked a little bit about some of the fighter pay issues, and he's come out on the side of, you know, the money's there. They could be paying us more. So a lot of what Dana's going to be saying about him is skewed by that. So, and, and look, I mean, in fairness to Dana's point, I think he's, I think some of what he's saying is based around a, you know, the premise that, well, if you talk a lot of crap, then you better come out and fight in a pleasing style to me. Or at least get a finish. Volkov's a tough guy to finish. And it's not like Blades didn't win. I mean, that said, he did pretty clearly gas out after the third round. That's not really in dispute here. So it's... It's Dana fine I think... Let me put it this way. If a quote-unquote company fighter had had the same kind of performance, I think we'd be hearing different things from Dana. He'd be focusing on different things. Uh, instead of just the fact that instead of the gassing out, but uh, such is the nature of Dana White, I suppose, as far as that goes. So Blades at the moment kind of stuck on the outside looking in for the title picture, but 
from a you know from a merit based standpoint, he should be in line after Francis. I think. I mean, Ngannou's done enough to rehab his image career at this point. He deserves a second shot at the belt, whether that's Stipe. It, I think the only way he can fight for it is... Assuming Daniel Cormier is sincere when he says that even if he wins against Stipe in their trilogy, he's going to retire. When he says that that's his last fight, win, lose, or draw. If he is sincere about that, then we're going to get Ngannou Stipe 2 for the vacant belt. Or Stipe wins, and we get Ngannou Stipe 2 for the belt. Well, again, if something happens to Stipe, then maybe some of that might get accelerated. If Ngannou beats Cormier, not, I don't find that very likely, but if it does happen, then, and Stipe's out with an injury, then maybe we just kind of jump to Blades and Ngannou 3, but again, that's a tough sell. Not an impossible sell, but a tough sell, and to kind of further, further to Curtis's point, he's beaten pretty much everyone below him. And it's not like there's another... If if Francis is either the champion or out of the equation for whatever reason, it's not like there's somebody else you kind of go, yeah, that guy. That guy really deserves a shot. That It's just not there right now. Uh, Volkov probably finds himself fighting down a little bit next. Um, I know the UFC's looking at making, you know, Derek Lewis and Alexi Olenek. He could fight... I wouldn't hate a rematch with him and Lewis. He was winning He was winning that fight so handily. And then just kind of threw it away at the end. I think I had him up two 10-8 rounds uh, in that fight. So I, I don't know what they do with Volkov. Uh, let me pull up the UFC rankings. See if there's anything interesting at heavyweight for Volkov that I haven't considered. Um, maybe you do him an overeem. Uh, I think Rosenstrike had a fight that was being worked on. I wouldn't hate him and Rosenstrike, in all honesty. Volkov and Rosenstrike could be good fun. Him and Overeem's a good fight. But yeah, I think that's kind of the space we're in. He's going to be fighting someone right around where he is. Um, if you wanted to fight up for uh, Junior, still ranked number five, Volkov and JDS could be a thing. So, it's not like they're out of options, but uh, if he wants to get towards the title, he's not really in a position to uh, you know lose another fight. He's kind of got to start stringing these things together. So, uh, anyway, main event, eh. I don't think it needed five rounds. I mean, I'm sure Blades can use it as a learning experience, and it provided, you know, Volkov the chance to stage a bit of a comeback, but I would I would much rather the co-main event have gotten the full five rounds. In your co-main event, Josh Emmett defeats Shane Burgos via unanimous decision. 229 28s, 129-27. Uh, 10-8 for Bur- uh, Emmett in the third round, I think, is justifiable. Uh, this was a great fight. This was a really great fight. Uh, Burgos in Emmett's face all the time. 
I, for the record, I scored it for Burgos. Uh, that said, I think round one was kind of the swing round. Um, at least that's kind of what I what I've seen. You know, round one kind of could have gone either way. Round two, I thought was pretty clearly Burgos's, and then round three, very clearly Emmett's. Um, really great fight. Emmett was able to find some power punches, and the man's a very, very hard puncher. Burgos kept in his face. He ate some big shots, and just some of them he just ate. Some of them, especially in the third round when he got dropped, the really nice uh, just drop la- uh, drop shift left from Emmett. So you start out in orthodox, then you step back into southpaw, fire the left. It was a really nice punch. Uh, Burgos's activity was a big thing. He landed a lot. He was much bigger than Emmett. Uh, unf- I want to be careful how I say this. Burgos has pretty good shot selection, but he really needed to go after the left leg of Emmett in this round, and he did with some kicks. It's not like he ignored it, but Emmett did something to his knee, uh, hyperextended it, possibly you know did some ligament damage to his uh, left knee, like, the beginning of the fight. First 15 seconds or so, he did something to it. And I think Burgos could have done a better job of really kind of hammering that and going after it. Um, Also, you know, full credit to Josh Emmett for gutting through it. I don't want to try and undersell him. This was a really good fight. This one I wanted to have five rounds. I don't know why... Not, not just the main event here, which I can kind of see, right? I can kind of see why Blades and Volkov, you're trying to crown the next heavyweight contender. I can see the argument even if I disagree with it. But these two could have possibly main evented last week's show. And I just... These guys needed two more rounds. I didn't need five rounds of I and Calvillo. I didn't really need five rounds of Blades and Volkov. I really would have liked an extra f- the full five for these two because they had, for as long as it lasted, a really, really good war. A really good fight. Emmett said after the fact he wants to only fight people above him in the rankings now, which I think is a fair request on his part. I mean, he doesn't have... He only has two losses ever. And only one of those is at flyweight. His flyweight record is 5-1. and one. The loss coming to Jeremy Stevens. If you'll recall, he dropped Stevens pretty hard in that round. Or in the first round of that fight. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it's unfair for him to say... I would like to only fight... Uh, I'd like to start looking above me instead of below me. Uh, Emmett's ranked 8 right now. That will change. These are... The UFC rankings right now are pre-updates. Not that the UFC rankings are worth all that much from a logical perspective. But he should probably be fighting... He could fight Calvin Cater. Uh, I'd like to see... He could fight Yair Rodriguez, but the UFC will is trying to protect Yair. Ditto Zabit. I don't think they'll give either of... The, I don't think they'll give Emmett either of those fights. I think he wins those rather handily. Uh, the Yair fight a little bit, I don't know, maybe the Z- maybe Zabit could make it interesting. But I think I think he hand I think he handles Yair pretty easily. 
Uh, him and the Korean zombie. The Korean zombie shouldn't be fighting down right now, though. Um, man, the featherweight rankings are kind of weird at the moment. You have Volkanovski as the champion. Holloway is the number one contender. I might disagree with that, but they're giving him an immediate rematch, so fair play. They have Brian Ortega at number two. I like Ortega, but he's been out for way too long to retain the number two position. Zabit at three, Jung at four. I might swap those personally, but okay. Rodriguez at five, okay. Cater at six, yeah. So again, all of these guys would be bumped up. One, they have Frankie Edgar still ranked. Edgar's dropping to bantamweight. I'd remove him from the rankings. And Stevens, Burgos, Ige. Aldo shouldn't be ranked at featherweight right now. He's moved to bantamweight, so he's at number 13. Uh, yeah, featherweight's kind of a odd spot rankings-wise, but as far as Emmett goes, again, Rodriguez, Zabit, Cater, any of those fights uh, would be really good fights. Now, you know, featherweight's got a lot of good, really, really good fighters. You know, it's hard to go wrong matching them up. Uh, which, you know, could kind of bring us to Burgos here. Um, I know Dan Ige just signed a fight. Oh, uh, that would have been an interesting one. I mean, you could give him any of those guys ranked above him. It's Burgos is another can't-miss guy. His fights are always entertaining. Oh, sorry, sorry, I apologize for... If you get a couple of brief little breaks here, uh, I'm in some... In some pain at the moment. Not a tremendous amount, just a little bit. Um, I just have a temporary crown that fell off a little bit earlier today. So now at the moment, anytime I even breathe too hard over that tooth, that nice little, you know, zing of nerve pain. Isn't that fun? Uh, next up, Raquel Pennington defeated Marion Renovi. Unanimous decision, 30-27, Uh fairly standard stuff here. Pennington, a little bit stronger physically. Uh, once she figured out that Marion Renault didn't understand how to deal with a tie clinch, the old double, the double collar tie, she just got that anytime they were in the clinch and just pounded knees to the body. Um, yeah, again, fairly standard stuff there. I don't know what you do with Pennington. I mean, she's not going to fight for the belt again as long as Amanda Nunes is champion. Now, to be fair, Nunes might retire soon. Uh, she's lost twice to Holly Holm. Uh, she had that close fight with, with Irene Aldana, but Aldana's got a fight with Holm coming up. Aspen Ladd just fell out of her fight. Uh, she was going to fight... Who was Ladd going to fight? Um, she can fight on this upcoming card, I think. Yeah, she was going to fight Sarah McMahon. That was it. So, maybe you could do Pennington and McMahon. That's lower. You could maybe do Pennington and Ketlin Vieja. Uh, Vieja could use kind of a rebound after the, getting just knocked out cold by Aldana. Uh, I think Pennington already got battered by Jermaine Durandamy, didn't she? Look up Pennington's record. Yeah, Jermaine Durandamy already beat her via unanimous decision. Wasn't a terribly competitive fight, and she must wait for that. So, yeah, I think probably the Vieja fight is kind of where I'd be leaning, but 
uh, for whatever that's worth. As for Renault, uh, you can match her up with anyone kind of ranked below her as well. Um, Lena Landsberg, Macy Chasson, Betch Cohea. Betch Cohea. Ugh. Women's bantamweight. Not in a good spot. Uh, next up, you rather you have a really good fight for the night, actually. Bilal Muhammad defeated Lyman Good via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. I actually leaned towards. Uh, I thought. I think I. I think I scored this for good. I gave him the first. Uh, that said, I don't think. I. Uh, I might be misremembering. If I gave that to good, I was. It was a very, very marginal call on my part. Um, Muhammad had a good first couple of rounds. A lot of backing up, a lot of hitting while moving. And then in the third, good just finally started finding him with his over, with his right hand hurt him badly a couple of times but Muhammad survived moved on and you know, got a decision uh, not a bad fight I don't know what you uh, Muhammad's also in a, he called out Santiago Ponzinibbio after the fight I'd be okay with that I can see I can live with that fight uh, kicking off the main card Jim Miller submitted Roosevelt Roberts with an arm bar 225 of the first round uh, this was a thing of beauty an absolutely beautiful armbar. Miller gets uh, they they kind of clash on kicks early, but because Miller aimed low and Roberts aimed at the body, Roberts kind of gets off balance. Miller gets on top, works a little bit from full guard and a little bit of half guard, and then Roberts kind of gets to the fence, gives his back. Miller gets it, but without full control. Then as Roberts tries to get up and shake him off, Miller switches to the armbar. Holds on to it, adjusts a little bit. Uh, the finishing sequence, actually, Roberts, his left arm is the one being attacked with the arm bar. Um, he winds up getting his right arm caught under the arm that's being attacked, so there's some extra leverage on that. And then uh, just a really nice arm bar from Jim Miller, who continues to just kind of chug along. Uh, I, I can't help but feel good when Jim Miller fights, because he has good fights, and I... I'm sentimentally attached to the guy. I like seeing him win. Um, I mean, Jim Miller... I saw a stat leading up to this event that I think needs to be said. Jim Miller has been with the UFC since... Well, 2008. Yeah, he debuts in October of 2008. During that time, so 12 years... Jim Miller has never fought less than twice in a calendar in any year. And also during that time he has been raising four sons, not not on his own, I believe he's married, but raising kids and for a chunk of it battling Lyme disease. Jim Miller is never going to be properly appreciated. A man in the UFC for 12 years, and in 2010, 2011, there's a very real argument he was one of the two best lightweights in the world, one of the two or three best lightweights in the world. Uh, unfortunately, he never got to fight for the belt, but he's just been a model of consistency. Yeah, he loses, but he keeps showing up, and... You know, he's 3-1 and one in his last four. 
And that one was a real that one loss was a really good fight that he certainly acquitted himself well in. I mean, Miller's fingerprints are all over the record books. He, with this win, is in sole possession of third place for most finishes in UFC history with 21. He has the most wins in UFC lightweight history. This was at a catch rate of 160. Both men agreed to that beforehand, so no, nobody missed weight here. So this won't count to that, but he has the most wins in lightweight history at like 19, I think. 19 or 20. He is tied for the most bouts in UFC history with Donald Cerrone. When he made the walk here, he and Cerrone tied again at 35. Um, again, this fight didn't take place at lightweight, so I don't think it, so. It won't count towards his second most stoppages in lightweight history. He's behind only Joe Lowe's on there, and it's just a crying shame that man's never going to be appreciated the way he should be because. Uh, that man has been an absolute workhorse in terms of his schedule, in terms of he's been in the trenches in terms of his opposition. I mean, you can look down his list, uh, you know, his resume. There's not a lot of uh, soft touches there, you know. Uh, there's, there's really not. I mean, the closest you get, if you go way back in the day... Um, okay, he beat. Okay, that was. This is out of the UFC, but he beat uh, Bart Pawashevsky, who's normally a bantamweight, so okay. But he debuts in the UFC against a fairly tough guy in David Barron. Uh, Barron was near the end of his career at the time, it was his UFC debut as well, but Barron had a good record. He was 17 and 2 at the time, so not easy. Fights Matt Wyman, Mac Danzig. Okay, Steve Lopez might be something, might be one of those close ones you consider to being a slightly softer touch. Uh, Dwayne Ludwig, Mark Bocek. Okay, yeah, I'm just going to read the guys, the names of the guys that Jim Miller has fought, because really. The aforementioned David Barron and Matt Wyman, Gray Maynard, uh, loses. His one loss outside the UFC, Frankie Edgar, loses to Gray Maynard. Seeds to beat Mac Danzig, Steve Lopez, Dwayne Ludwig, Mark Bocek, Glayson Tebow, Charles Oliveira, who he tapped with a knee bar, and Kamal Shalarus. His momentum is dis, uh, is broken by Benson Henderson. It was a great fight, by the way. You know, another future champion. Beats Melvin Gillard, loses to Nate Diaz. Tough fight. Fights Joe Lozon in... The, I think that was my 2012 fight of the year. That was a bloody, bloody brawl. Loses to Pat Healy. That gets overturned. Uh, beats Fermicio Camoys. Beats Yancey Medeiros. Loses to Cerrone. Loses to Dariush. Beats Danny Castillo. Loses to Chiesa. Loses to Sanchez. Ah, that was an awkward fight. That Sanchez fight. Beats Gomi. Beats Lozon in their rematch. Uh, much closer fight their rematch. Beats Tiago Alves, a giant coming down to lightweight who missed weight. Fights to a majority decision with Dustin Poirier that very easily could have been a draw. But he loses. Loses to Trinaldo, gets knocked out by Hooker. Beats Alex White. Okay, there's that, and then he's going to fight Jason Gonzalez another fight. Those are, I think, the closest we get to, again, slightly softer touches. Uh, lo loses a rematch to Charles Oliveira. Beats Clay Guida. Fights Scott Holtzman, and then here Roosevelt Roberts. Like... 
there's not again, there's not a soft fight in that group, man. They're ju- not really. I mean, the, the you know, there's a very real argument that there aren't soft fights in the UFC at lightweight at all. Uh, that is partially true. But again, that man's in, been in the trenches delivering quality fights for 12 years. Uh, my hat is off to Jim Miller. Well, it's on as I record because it helps because my, he- my headset is a little bit awkward if I don't have something else to help kind of make sure it's properly aligned. But my hat is off to Jim Miller, metaphorically. Um, as for Roberts, it's not a great look, but Miller's a crafty veteran. And for a guy who's... I mean, geez, Roberts is 26. In the UFC, he is... 4-2? and two. I mean, there's plenty of time for him to still kind of develop and come along and just use this as a learning experience rather than something horribly negative. As for the prelims, uh, Bobby Green defeated Clay Guida. The unanimous decision, 229-28, 130-27. Uh, acquaintance of mine on Facebook had the following to say it. Uh, he joked about, you know, hey, I think my TV's broken. It says Clay Guida's about to fight. Uh, which, yeah, he was. And then proceeded to ask, is Bobby Green any good? Watched part of the fight and then said, Bobby Green is the worst parts of Roy Jones Jr. Uh, which I can see an argument for. Bobby Green wins. Uh, not a terribly interesting fight. I think the only interesting thing to come out of this fight, really, uh, was something on Twitter from uh, Grabaka Hitman, who said, you know, if you go back, if you were to go back and watch old Guida fights, but score them with the new criteria, how many of them does he lose? Uh, Which is a very interesting experiment to maybe go through, uh, to look at how Guida, how Guida's record might be different if he were under the current scoring criteria instead of the old one that just wildly overvalued takedowns. Uh, Tisha Torres broke a four-fight losing streak by defeating Brianna Van Buren, 30-27 across the boards. Um, yeah, not a whole lot here. Uh, Van Buren just wasn't quite ready for Torres's hand speed or clinch game. Marc-Andre Barrio defeated Oscar Pijota via TKO 450 of the second round. Um, not much here. If you've seen one or two of these guys' fights, you kind of know what's up. Uh, I don't have much here. Jillian Robertson defeated Courtney Casey via rear naked choke 432 of the third. Courtney Casey's takedown defense has always been a little bit shoddy, but it's becoming a real liability in some of her fights now. Uh, She really needs to shore that up. Uh, Justin Jane scored a pretty... uh, fairly big upset over Frank Camacho via TKO 41 seconds of the first round. Uh, Camacho missed weight for this fight, and Jane's was kind of a late-notice replacement. Jane's just came in looking to brawl. Right away, kept ducking into a left... and then throwing a left hook. Caught Camacho a couple of times, dropped him, and then just pounded on him against the fence until the ref stopped it. Uh, James afterwards said he wanted to fight Dracar Close because Dracar Close beat him in a high school wrestling match. 
Uh, pff, go for it. I mean, I think I'd be fine with that. At women's flyweight, Lauren Murphy defeated Roxanne Modafferi via unanimous decision, 30-27, twice, and then won 29-28. Um, Modafferi just struggled to get takedowns and then struggled with kind of just the power punching of Murphy. Um, let this be a lesson to everyone out there what happens if you derail one of Dana White's pet projects. Uh, the fight before this, UFC 246, Roxanne Modafferi defeated Macy Barber, who the UFC was very high on. But that was the main event of the prelims, so to lead into the pay-per-view. For those of you who may not remember, 246 was McGregor and Cerrone. So only, you know, the most viewed uh, streaming event in sports history, right? So a position of prominence on the card, more or less, and then... Defeats the uh, the up-and-coming fighter that the UFC wants to build around, and in response to this big upset and career-best win, arguably, she has dropped all the way to near-curtain-jerking position and given a terrible stylistic matchup for her and Lauren Murphy. Uh, women's flyweight is not the best division in the world. Murphy was ranked seventh. I imagine she'll be she'll go up again at least one or two spots. Um, I don't know. Maybe you could do her and Jessica I. That would be absolutely interchangeable with, you know, essentially every other uh, women's flyweight fight, more or less. Uh, You know, just for the record, when we're talking about women's MMA, uh, the latest edition of Jack Slack's podcast, um, his opening bit to that is, this would be his review of the Calvillo and I card. He actually goes into some of his issues with women's MMA generally. And I think he said it as good as it can be said right now, in all honesty. Uh, So there's not a lot, I don't think there's much memory or uh, sarcasm there. So if you're curious about why a lot of us are a little bit, I wouldn't say down on women's MMA, because I think that's the wrong, that's not, I don't think that's accurate. But if you want to know, again, some of the criticisms that I think are fairly leveled, he does about as good a job possible at kind of going, okay, here's X, Y, and Z, and why I think it's a problem. And then kicking everything off, Austin Hubbard defeated Max Roscoff via TKO between rounds two and three. Roscoff uh, said he was done. Um, I suppose we sh- I should talk about this a little bit. Uh, first of all, good performance from Hubbard all the way around. Um, good takedown defense, good ability to regain his feet. Uh The big thing kind of coming out of this has been the discussion around the corner stopping the fight, not stopping the fight. Roscoff goes back between rounds two and three and tells his corner, I'm done, call it. He repeats this multiple times, I think nine. While his coaches say, no, shut up, don't say that, you're a champion, get out there, wrestle him, get on top, you're going to win this fight, etc., etc., etc. Um... How do I say this? If the fight had been going even, 
I think there's an argument to be made that his coaches were might have had their heads and their hearts in the right spot, right? If it's a round apiece and we've had two close rounds and or it's a really competitive fight, then okay, I can see the argument. Roskopf was on the wrong end of a 10-8 round in round two from where I was sitting. He took this fight on very short notice. This was only his sixth professional fight, period. And he's fighting a guy with, I think, 15 fights. This, Yeah, coming into this fight, this was Roskopf, Roskopf's sixth and Hubbard's 16th. A guy who's already fought in the UFC three times against top-level, not top-top-level, but against legitimate opposition. And on short notice, he it's not like he didn't try. He gave it his best in the first round. It didn't quite work. He came out for the second and just got abused for five minutes and then said, I don't think there's any point in this continuing. I don't have it. And his corner tried to talk him into going out there and just getting bombed on for another five minutes for what? Some kind of BS moral victory? There is so much wrong about the culture of cornering in MMA. It's... It should almost be studied. It's that bad. It's just not at all understood what you're supposed to be doing as a corner man, what your responsibilities are to your fighter, and... I'm, it's sad because it's not going to change until somebody dies, apparently. If your fighter comes back and actually tells you, I'm done, you should... Uh, okay, maybe if they only say it once and then they start responding to you as you're engaging with them, that's a different story. If they just repeat it, then they're done. I mean, it's sad because this poor guy is going to get castigated by everyone for making the smart decision. I mean, Dana White was very dismissive of him in the post-fight you know, post-event, which I think is, again, radically unfair. What, you want this guy to go out there and suffer more physical trauma for the small amount of money you're paying him? On short notice? Just, no. I, I mean, I think Dan Hooker said something uh, somewhat snarky on Twitter. And I think the best response came from a, uh, just a, you know, kind of a, uh, not a, not a joke, but, you know, a more humorous bent MMA Twitter account that I'm not going to... I really don't think someone who was finished by and then chuckled body shots is in a position to talk about how tough you are because that's kind of the... And again, that's a deliberately sarcastic tweet because for a long time, that was also a thought. You know, hey, they hit you in the body. What are you, a, what are you, a wuss? Get up. Uh, just radically, radically out of touch with reality. So much of it. It was a really good performance from Hubbard. Again, his takedown defense was kind of an issue against Mark Madsen. He's He's been working on shoring that up. His cardio is good. His shot selection is good. The man clearly has some power. So it was a good performance on his part, and I don't want that to be overly lost. We're discussing what a bad job 
Roscoff's corner did in handling this whole thing. So, anyway, that was the event, uh, such as it was. Thanks to those of you who may have read live. Thanks to those of you who have read after the fact. I know this wasn't a very hyped card, but it was a, again, there was some good stuff there. Not everything, but you've got 12 fights on a card. Not all of them are going to be great. Uh, if you and we had some we had some pretty good stuff last night. So thank you to everyone who read and followed along. I always appreciate you guys. I really, really do. Alrighty, moving on. UFC on ESPN 12 will be coming this coming Saturday. Uh, and your main event is great. It is Dustin Poirier taking on Dan Hooker, and I mean, I shouldn't have to sell this. I mean, not only is it not my job, but if you're listening to this podcast, you're pretty deep into the MMA scene and whatnot, so you know how great this is probably going to be. Uh, Poirier coming off of that that loss to Khabib in the title fight, which broke a really long winning streak for him. I mean, his Dustin Poirier's only losses at lightweight are to Michael Johnson, when he just happened to Michael Johnson just happened to have the performance of his life, and then Khabib, and that's it. Uh, I was he has had a really good lightweight run. When you kind of look at it. I mean, he's beaten a lot of really good guys. Uh, but, again, hasn't fought since September of 19 when he was submitted by Khabib. Hooker's coming off of that five-round war with Paul Felder. That was a brutal fight. I mean, Hooker's only loss since moving up to lightweight was to Edson Barboza. And since coming back up, he's 7-1. and one. Yeah, uh, this is going to be a really good fight. You have Poirier's more of just a straight power puncher. Uh, Hooker more of an analytical fighter. Hooker a lot more kind of built into the, does the fainting thing. A lot better at distance. He won't, He'll probably be trying to keep this longer than uh, Poirier. He doesn't like the more... Hooker doesn't do well in frantically paced fights. He really wants things to be a little bit slower. His his big problem with Barboza was that he just couldn't handle Barboza's explosive motions and the power that was associated with them. Then he just kind of slowly got broken down by Barboza over the course of that fight. That said, it's not like he didn't have moments of success in the Barboza fight. He did. But... Uh, that kind of fighter gives him some problems. I think Poirier might give him some problems. Poirier's a big puncher. He's got some. He's developed some really solid boxing. Uh, his defense, in particular, has come a long way. I mean, we're talking about a man who defensively was able to really stifle and frustrate Max Holloway of all people. You know, and if you can do that to Max Holloway. You're doing something right. I'm glad this fight has five rounds. I really am. Uh, 
I'm leaning towards Poirier, but I'm not going to be surprised if Hooker wins. Again, we're talking about the top top of the division in the best in the deepest division in the sport. I'm not going to be surprised by either guy winning. If Poirier can't find a way to close distance and connect on these power punches and just get skewered at distance by the jab of Hooker and then, you know, eats a knee coming in or whatnot, I won't be surprised. I I also won't be surprised if Hooker can't keep him at the range he wants and Poirier's able to put kind of a smashing on him in close proximity. Uh, it's a great, great fight. I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about the rest of this card. I'll go down it very briefly, but... Uh, your co-main event is Mike Perry and Mickey Gall. Mike Perry uh, released a video on Instagram, I think, this last week, showing off some damage. Uh, he had a pretty big cut on his forehead. His knuckles were all scraped up. I don't know what happened. But uh does make me wonder whether that fight will go forward or not. Um, if it does, I like Perry's chances against Mickey Gall. Um John Volante is moving up to heavyweight because I don't know why. I don't know what I did in a past life or this life to deserve this. But John Volante moving up to heavyweight. Uh, I don't know where John Volante gets the reputation that he's an exciting brawler. I mean, most of his fights are not good. Just straight up. Most of them are not very good fights. Uh, I mean, he'll be fighting Maurice Green, who I believe was last uh, on the losing end of a fight with Alexi Olenek, yes. I'll pick Green. I don't pick... I don't pick John Volante to win fights at this point. Uh, some of the bout order on the rest of this card is a little bit up in the air. Again, Ladd and McMahon got pulled at the last minute. Well, not at the last minute, but this last week. Uh, after Aspen Ladd suffered a knee injury. She tore her MCL under ACL. So hopefully she gets that taken care of and is able to get back into the mix because women's bantamweight needs, uh, you know, interesting bodies. I chose the worst way to say that. Women's bantamweight can't really afford to lose fighters right now, and Aspen Ladd is a fi- you know a fairly high-level fighter, and her being down and out of the equation is not a good thing for the division. Um, so anyway, that's off. So look at some of these other cards. Uh, Luis Pena is going to fight Kama Worthy. That could be interesting. Um, if Pena can't keep distance, Worthy could bomb on him. Uh, I don't know. Again, that's kind of a tough call. I don't really like, I don't really like picking Luis Pena, but, I mean, at times it's the appropriate thing. So I probably will lean towards him here, but that's, again, that's a tough one. A heavyweight fight between Felipe Linz and Tanner Bozer. Um, Linz had that really awkward fight with Andre Arlovsky uh, a couple of months ago. Hmm. 
Probably going to lean towards Bozer, actually. Bozer has pretty good cardio for heavyweight. Uh, at a special catchweight fight, Kyle Nelson will fight Sean Woodson. Uh, they'll be at 150. Nelson was last seen knocking out Polo Reyes. So he's be, he'll be looking for his uh, first UFC winning streak. And Woodson... This isn't quite his debut fight. I'm pretty sure he's fought in the UFC before. Let me confirm that. Again, sorry, some of the bout order here is not fully realized. Uh, Woodson's undefeated. Yeah, he's fought in the UFC. Yeah, he beat Kyle Botniak. Okay. I don't really remember the fight, but... I'm sure I covered it. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Brendan Allen will fight Kyle... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this gentleman's last name. Uh, Dekaus? Going to go with that for the moment. Um, Dekaus is making his UFC debut. He's undefeated. Whereas Allen... Uh, has fought twice in the UFC. Has some pretty good wins, actually, over Kevin Holland and Tom Breeze. So I'm I'm going to go with Allen there. Uh, let's see. Mara Romero Barella will fight Miranda Maverick. Uh, this is Maverick's UFC debut. She's on a pretty good winning streak. I'm uh, going to go with Maverick there. Barella seems to have kind of sputtered out. Um, Takashi Sato will fight Rami's... Apologies to this gentleman. Rami's... Brahmaji? Brahimaj? Gonna go with Brahimaj. Um, I kind of like Sato here. He's had a bit of a rough run in the UFC, but... Uh, he's, he's got one and one, actually. So he beat Saunders and then lost to Bilal Muhammad, so... Uh, Sato's pretty good. And uh, Bramij is making his UFC debut. So, and then uh, kicking everything off. I think this fight got bumped to this one. Was supposed to, or Jordan Griffin was supposed to fight on this last card, and this got bumped here after his opponent fell out. Uh, Jordan Griffin is going to fight Yusuf Zalal. Um, Zalal has fought in the UFC before. Yeah, he had a successful debut earlier in February of this year, actually. Whereas Griffin is coming off of his first UFC win, I seem to recall. Yeah, that guy had a tough couple of fights. Jeez. Uh, he debuted against Dan Ige and then fought Chaz Skelly. That's a rough two fights. That's a, those are tough guys. Those are tough guys. Uh, I'm actually going to lean towards Zalal, but I'm not sure. Probably should lean towards Griffin, but I'm not. Shows you how much I know. Anyway, that's the upcoming event, such as it is. Uh, and I will be covering that in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so please stop by, say hello, I always appreciate that. And again, the main event next week, this week, really good. So, hopefully nothing crazy happens to it. Because that would suck. 
All right. Uh, as for the news of the week, such as it was, um, oh, you know what? Let's start with this. There were some uh, stories shared on social media by a lot of different uh, former fighters about former UFC matchmaker Joe Silva. Now, a lot of what was shared was you know, was a lot of specifics, but sort of the broad strokes were well no- were known inside the MMA bubble, that the man was a notorious, strong-arm, give-you-nothing kind of negotiator. Uh, a lot of this kind of stemmed from, if you'll recall, last week we talked a little bit about some of the fighters talking about fighter pay. That kind of dovetailed into this, people sharing their stories of Joe Silva. Uh, Eddie Alvarez had a good one. Gray Maynard shared some. Uh, a lot again a lot of former fighters John Fitch uh shared just some of the stories about the guy and uh, I, I'm not trying to throw the man under the bus he's more we're all more than the worst thing we've ever done even if the worst things we've ever done have to be you know considered that way but uh yeah, they don't paint a very flattering picture. Now, again, to be fair, do consider these are all former members of the UFC roster, so there is a there might be a little bit of an axe to grind there, but considering that everything they say essentially falls in line with what was rumored slash known about uh, about Silva and the UFC's negotiating policies and whatnot, uh doesn't horribly surprise me. Um, just none of it, really. So, if you're interested, you can look up and see kind of how that... Uh, somehow that is remembered, how he's... Because he's a... And look, let me be clear. Silva's a very important figure in the history of the UFC and the sport. And it's just important that when we talk about people like that, that we do remember... That, you know, that we try to paint an accurate picture, not one that's overly, either overly, you know, lionized or overly vilified. And I'm sure Silva, I have no problem believing the stories that came out uh, at all. Just straight up, no problem. It is also important to remember how, and I'm not trying to carry water for him or the UFC here, it's just important to remember that he did a lot of... He was a very important part of that particular machine. And the fact that he had these, you know, very glaring flaws is simply part of is part of the picture, not the whole picture. Uh, and I'm going to probably say something similar about Dana White in the future, and I just want, I just want to make sure you guys know. I... That's... That is my desire for accuracy, not my desire to suck up to the UFC. You know, Silva did a lot of important stuff. That's just undisputable. The fact that he was also uh, the way he was, also fairly undisputable. And they should be weighed, and you know, both things should be known. So, if you want some... Uh, some laughs or whatnot, or it's just some you know stories about that about how the UFC does business. 
feel free to look those up on various social media platforms because uh, they are they are something to read. Put it like that. Uh, not a whole lot else here. Um, the UFC announced a few fights. Well, one fight in particular. Um, they're looking to make uh, Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakich for the upcoming August 29th card. Uh, that's a really good fight. That's a tough fight for both guys. Smith coming off of that brutal loss to Glover Teixeira. Rakich coming off of the first loss of his UFC run. Um, when did he fight last? Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, Uzdemir. He fought Vulcan Uzdemir. I kind of thought he won that fight. Uh, that said, uh, no, I didn't really have any issues with Uzdemir getting the decision either. So that, and that's a good fight. You know, I like to see how Rakich rebounds from that loss. Like to see what Smith still has left in the tank. Both guys are big, rangy fighters. Both have power. So it should be a good fight. Uh, let's see. I think the last thing of some note here. Uh, asked about the Reebok deal coming to an end um, and potential replacements going forward. Dana White mentioned uh, three possibilities off the top of his head, I think. Uh, those being Nike, Under Armour, and Venom. Uh one of these things is not like the other. Not a knock on the people at Venom or their clothing, but uh, Nike and Under Armour are the big boys. Venom, not so much. Uh, we, I talked about this with Mark a few weeks ago on this show. I don't know what the, I don't know where the UFC goes next. Nike or Under Armour would be my guess, but. I think the big question is the big thing to watch coming out of the Reebok period of history is not so much going to be which uh, brand they land with. That's somewhat ancil- that's somewhat secondary to what lessons are we going to have learned from this debacle, right? Be that how how cat. Uh, I, I don't even know how to properly say this. Um, you remember when Dana White, because uh, again, I talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago, how little has been paid to the fighters. I think it broke down to like $10,000 per fighter per year that they paid out, pre you know, gross. Um... Very, very little of the deal actually went to the fighters. The notion that the fighters got paid, could be paid for, you know, uh, the sale of their fight kits. Uh, that turned out to be not, ac- was not accurately reported when the, okay, so if, I think the line was, you know, if uh, on any fight kit that is sold, the fighters get X percentage, I think it was 20%, something like that. Forgive me, I, f- I forget the number. That turned out to be wrong. Um, the UFC got a percentage of the sales, and then that percentage, then the fighters got a percentage of the UFC's percentage, rather than anything straight from you know uh, Reebok and the uh, the point of sale to the fighter. Um, I don't know of it. 
not just me, but, you know, plenty of media members have said they don't know anyone who actually made money off of that, uh, off of this, off of the, you know, the sales of fight kits or, you know, other branded merchandise through Reebok kind of thing. Uh, th- again, this whole thing has been a debacle from the beginning. And the big question is not which, not which apparel brand is going to try to, is going to come up next. But more, whoever you are, can we have learned from what happened here? Because this was, again, this was kind of a bad deal all the way around, yeah? I mean, I get that there's an argument to be made that a sense of uniformity to the fighters isn't the worst thing in the world if we kind of look at it in a vacuum. And I think that's fair. I, I think it's a very fair thing to say, you know, you don't want the fighters looking, uh, the comparison all the time is made to NASCAR, uh, which I find hilarious because the UFC then immediately plastered advertisements all over the canvas of the octagon. So the UFC can look like NASCAR and get all the associated money with whatever sponsorship deal they have in place for that, but the fighters can't. So... Point being, I think there's a degree of argument to be made that a sense of uniformity could be a, is a good thing. That said, the utter blandness of what was put out, I think, was really, really off-putting. Um, almost arguing, almost, you could argue, a step backwards. Um, I mean, full-on backwards might be a bit of a stretch, but... Uh, it wasn't great. Uh, I, I don't think the Reebok deal produced anything of any real substantive value to the fighters. I mean, they were paid very, very, again, they were paid very little from that deal. And a lot of them lost a lot of money. And I feel bad for them over that. You know, these fighters put themselves through a lot to get into a cage and fist fight for money. And I think the least that we can do as fans and whatnot is try to argue that they should be properly compensated for that. That seems like the bare minimum we can do, right? So whoever, whatever brand it is that comes up next, I just, I hope the appropriate lessons are learned and I hope the fighters actually get paid this time around. That's my big hope for that. Alright, let's check Twitter one more time. That's all I had listed on my announcements. So, that's all I had listed for my research, so let's see if anything crazy has happened in the last little bit. And... Because that's kind of how we do this. We check Twitter. Nope, doesn't look like anything else crazy has happened, so let's do some plugs really quickly and then get out of here. Alright, um, on behalf of Jeff, uh, he has an interview with former WWE wrestler Stu Bennett, better known as Wade Barrett slash Bad News Barrett, up in the, uh, I don't, I think it's in the wrestling side, but on the 411 Interviews podcast. So you can check that out, um, you can check out... Myself and Mark Radulich on the Radulich and Broadcasting Network. I've run Damn You Hollywood, along with Alexis Haina. We reviewed the straight-to-Disney-plus movie Artemis Fowl. And uh, 
Yeah, we had a fun time burying that, so give that a listen if you're so inclined. We, uh, we all had a good time. Uh... You can find my written report for the latest MLW anthology episode in the Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania. Uh, this one on the Extreme Horsemen. Uh, you can so you can find that in the television or in the reviews section of the Wrestling Zone. And then yeah, the upcoming ESPN card on the 11th or on the end of this month. So. I will see you all back here next week for the old review preview rigmarole. We will be reviewing UFC on ESPN 12 and previewing. We might have a week off, actually. Hang on. We will, in fact, have a week off. Um, hmm. Is that listed as the 12th? That's odd. Um, anyway, not this coming Saturday, but next week, the the 4th of July, will fall on a Saturday, so the UFC won't be running an event there. They are listing UFC 251 as taking place on the 12th. Oh, I know what happened. Okay, 251 was originally supposed to take place in Australia, which meant the 12th in Australia would have been the 11th in the United States because of the time shift. Now that it's taking place on Yaz Island in the United Arab Emirates, I am not... This is the last time you're going to hear me say Fight Island. I am not dignifying that bit of promotional garbage with my time or energy. Uh, so it should be on the 11th. So next week will just be a review as well as whatever news. Then the week after will be the preview for 251, which I mentioned last week is a great card on... I mean, that main that main card... That's just... That's pretty great. That is a pretty great uh, night of fights on paper, yeah. So, I will be back here next week. I hope you all will as well. Until then, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for all the like, the likes, the comments, the subscriptions, uh, the reviews, if that's, the plat- if that's what the platform of your choice does. Uh, I appreciate all you guys, so I will see you next week. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.